Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. We are continuing today in a series we're calling No Place Like Home. I personally can't say that phrase without thinking of ruby red slippers and, and uh, totos and draw, scarecrows and tin men. I, I mean, those, those kind of things come to my mind because I think my cousin Dorothy was actually correct, right? There is no place quite like home. Uh, let me read a couple of things that uh, just we've been throwing around the last couple of weeks. Uh, there, there is truly no place, for better or worse, home's a place you may call. It, it's also the feelings that come with that. It's the people and experiences that let you know that you are home. I, I saw this the quote recently, and I thought it might help you. Home, according to the Smithsonian Magazine a few years ago, said this, Whatever else home is, home is home, and everything else is not home. <laughs> That's the way the world is constructed. Not that you can't feel at home in other places, but there's a big difference between feeling at home and actually being home. Interesting concept. It's a, there is no place quite like home, and whatever that looks like. Uh, last week, if you were here, we, uh, I actually gave you some quotes from some people from uh, Facebook posts. Many of them were right here in our congregation and, and some around the country just talking about what, is, what does it mean when you think of home. So this week, we, I went a little different route, just thinking about that idea of home. I kind of researched the question, home is where, because we often fill that in. And so I got some, some sayings. Some of these you probably have heard. There's a few sentimental ones and a couple that aren't quite so sentimental, but you may have some of these on your wall, like home is where your heart is, right? Okay, we've all heard that one. Here's another couple sentiment. Home is where you treat your friends like family and your family like friends. That one would be nice etched on your wall, right? Okay, here's, here's another sentiment. Um, home is where love resides, memories are created, friends and family belong, and laughter never ends. Oh, those are all really good, okay? So let's go to another source. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> home is where the heart is, and my heart is anywhere you are, baby. Anywhere you are is home, okay? Elvis even got in the act. Now listen, this, this is one of my favorites. Home is where your pants aren't, okay? Now you can, of course you want, <laughs> you want to make sure you knock on those kind of, if that, that house is up. But anyway, did you, you take that how you want. And then the last one, some of you probably saw, home is where you park it, right? Okay, some of you understand that. Home is where... And how do, we fit, how do we finish that? We're, we talk about how big, there's no place quite like home. So this morning, we're going to continue with that. But here's the verse that we kind of, uh, underlying all of this, Psalm 127, verse number 1, we looked at last week. Unless the Lord builds the house, or very, that could say home, unless the Lord builds the home, the builders labor in vain. No matter how hard you work, all of if. No matter how much effort you put into it, if you try to build without the, the design and the, the help of the master builder, you're, you're fighting against the, the truth. You're fighting against what could truly help your home. It's really a, a, a work in futility. He actually says it's in vain to try to build your house without the help of the creator. So that's where we're talking about when we look at this home. This morning, we're going to look at one of the aspects of home specifically. One of the, uh, we, we introduced it last time, but now we're going to dive into it this, this particular weekend. And that's the idea of marriage within the home. Marriage being one of the most 
important relationships in human experience, this, this combination that God put together of the home. We're actually going to look at today and call it the habits of a healthy marriage. Now, whether you're married or you're single, single again, wherever you are, these habits are obviously important for marriage, but I think you're going to find that there's some really just life-important habits that can help you in all relationships. But if you're married today, I hope we really want to focus on that context and how these habits can specifically influence your life. Today's a little bit differently, a little bit different, because uh, for some of you, we were here Friday night. Uh, we had a little get-together, a marriage night here in the auditorium. And we began by talking about these habits of a, he- a healthy marriage, watching a, a, an author, a, a, a counselor by the name of Dr. Paul Tripp. All right, so if you were here Friday night, we had a great time. Several couples here just listened, learned, laughed, just got away from the kids for a couple of hours. It was just a really a great night. So I thank you all for being here. So tonight, today, I want to just continue that thought. I'm actually going to give a review. So if you were here Friday night, this is kind of review, hopefully uh, enforce or reinforce what we talked about. If you weren't here, I hope it gives you some things to think about and maybe, uh, maybe add to your marriage or ask questions about. And then I want to add some other, just take it to another level for us as we continue this thought about what it looks like to have habits of a healthy marriage. So here's, here's where we want to go. My, my wife, Shelly, and I, a uh, beautiful woman right there, fourth, fifth row, right? Uh, we're coming up on 34 years, and we're excited about that, 34 years. And that truly, as she said it quite eloquently, is a tribute to the grace of God, right? Okay? And I think... <laughs> Um, and you can decide on whose part that was. Uh, actually, it was on both. You get that, okay? Uh, all of you that have been married, I don't care if you've been married two weeks or you've been married um, more than 34 years. It, it is, there is a testament to the grace of God in that. And I, but I, I have, every time that we come to a conference like this, and we've been, she mentioned it the other night, we try to every couple years just do something like a conference or get a book. Do something because 34 years and we're still learning. We're still growing. Marriage never gets to a perfect state here on this earth because we're still two humans learning. And, and, have, and so I always I love these things because I come away just, uh, God just allows me to appreciate her a little bit more, and I should. And, and I think that's one of the great things about marriage is I look and I say, man, God, you are awesome. Uh, the book of Proverbs talks about you think your wife is a gift. Absolutely. God gave me a gift that I did not deserve and I will never earn Okay, mother-in-law, that's your turn. Say amen, right? Okay, that's the point. <laughs> Somebody raised her, right? Right? Okay, so it, it is a, it's an incredible opportunity to look at our marriages and say, you know what? We're not perfect, but we're still married, and so let's work on it. Let's, let's let God continue to improve it and make it better, and that's, that's what I hope we're, we're having as we're going through this night. So we're talking about holy habits, this, as we started this year. And that's one of the things that intrigued me about this series that Paul Tripp did because I think it, we kind of come full circle as a church. We started the year off talking about holy habits and things we can add in our life. Well, there are some specific habits that we need to have in our lives, but couples within our marriages, there's some things that are very intriguing as well. But here's another thing, and, and I, 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 just to give you an idea about these habits. It is impossible for a marriage not to be shaped by your habits. Your habits are what truly move the day-to-day of your life. 
Now, you, you, may not, you may not have thought of it, that, but, but think about the importance of just the d- things you do. Not just the big things, those all, but the little habits that you have, the little experiences that have become a part of your life that are that truly. Here's Dr. Tripp. I'll give you a quote from him. He said, one of the most loving things the creator did, or he wired into us, was when he gave us the capacity to form habits. I want you to chew on that for a moment and think about what that means. Think about the fact if you, if every morning when you got out, when you woke up, you had to relearn how to walk. Or you had to relearn every morning how to tie your shoes or that you need to brush your teeth. What if you, every, what are those things? Those are habits, things that you do so much over a period of time that they just become natural. You don't think about it. You don't even have a desire for it. It's just things, that's what you do. And do you realize within our marriages, there are things that we don't understand that are just things that we do, but the problem is, when God created us, he knew we would be creatures literally of habit. That's, that's not just a saying, that's how God made us. Because he knew what it would be that we would need to learn and then be able to, to process that without even thinking. Just that those habits in our life. But when sin entered into the picture, now we not only have the ability to have these good habits that will help us and teach, we're walking now and we're loving now and all these things. But we also have the potential for, for bad habits. For habits that are destructive to our lives, to our marriages. I, I, I don't know. I wish I only had good habits. And I'm sure someone else in this room wishes I only had good habits, right? The point is, you and I, all of us, regardless where we stand, we're a mixture of good habits and bad habits. There are some great things that we do habitually. But there are some things that we do, whether we identify it or not, that are actually harmful or hurtful or offensive or whatever. And they're, they're things, we're a mixture of those kind of things. So it's about learning and improving on, on those habits. So here's a verse of scripture, and we're going to get to one focus, but I want to kind of give you the context. Galatians chapter number 6, some of you might recognize this passage, but I think it kind of launches us into what we're talking about, habits. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked, a man reaps what he sows. Okay, how many have heard something like that? We call that the law of sowing and reaping. Right? We, we've all, most of us have heard some form of that. Maybe didn't even realize it was from the Bible. But it is, it's a law that God says. And the, the interesting thing is, often when we see this law of sowing and reaping, we immediately think negative. Right? You're not going to get away with anything. Because whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Right? So you do that, your chickens are going to come home to roost. Right? We, all, we often go that way. That whatever you do, be careful because it's going to come back to bite you, right? That, that kind of thing because that's the law of sowing and reaping. And, and yes, that is, he, he does, he, he'll mention that. But this is more than just a law about watch out, you're going to get caught. This is a law about farming. You put a seed in the ground and you can expect to have fruit that resembles that seed, that comes from that seed. So negative, yes, but not only negative. You plant corn seed in the ground, what are you hoping is going to happen in a few weeks? Corn's going to come. You're going to get something good out of what you planted. There's going to be a harvest of goodness. Look at the next verse. He goes on to say, whoever sows to please their flesh, well, from the flesh they're going to reap destruction. Yes, we get that. You do think you're going to, it's going to come back. But look at the next phrase. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. 
these habits we're talking about. You, you, do, the, you do the wrong, oh, sure, we, we know it. You're going to reap what you sow. But if you're sowing good seed, you're going to reap good harvest. You're going to see good things happen within the, the, the way in which you live and within your relationships if you're sowing good seed. It's just a very powerful principle, encouraging words. One of the greatest, the next phrase to me, thinking of in just in life in general, in ministry, but remember, we're also thinking in context of marriage today. So let's look at verse number 9 in the context of your marriage. Look what he says. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Marriages, couples, let this be a word of hope for you today, a word of encouragement for you today, that you can do this. There, it's, it is worth it. That if you will continue, and it's hard, some days the weather for planting is just ferocious, and the atmosphere, all of those things. But keep planting the good seed, because what does God promise? You will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your Christian walk. Don't give up on, on the people in your life. Don't give up. Keep planting the good seed. God made a promise. This law of sowing and reaping is more than just a, woo, look out, don't get caught. It's a promise from God that you plant good seeds. You can expect a good harvest. Just don't give up. Continue to do what God, practice these godly habits. So, uh, Friday night, we talked about two habits that he mentioned. And I'm going to throw them out again to you today. If you were, were not here, the, uh, they'll be great. I think you'll write them down and, and, and research them. If you were here, it will just be a good thing to remember. But he talked about two specific habits, and I think they're powerful. The first habit is simply this, the habit of pulling weeds and planting seeds. Right? We have the whole, the whole garden, gardening motif, and, the, the, and, and some of you are green thumbs, some of you are brown thumbs, whatever you want to call it. You, you, you understand the concept. That with, when you, you uh, the planting the seed, as he said the other night, is the easy part. Now there's, there's cultivation and there's fertilization and there's all, all the things that will, will work and taking the weeds out. It, there's all part of this process to making, to, to seeing this thing ultimately come to its end. Jeremiah 1.10, the verse that we looked at. See today, uh, Jeremiah said, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, and to build and to plant. There's times when you got to take some things out, some things that are destructive, some habits that shouldn't be. you got to pull some weeds and plant some seeds and trust God to bring a harvest. This is for all of life. Understand that. So wherever you are, single again, single married, whatever your, your marital status, this is just life truth here. But think about it in the concept of your marriage, couples, that there are things that need to come out. I'll just review a few that we looked at. Number one is probably the, one of the biggest, and that's selfishness. Selfishness in its DNA is the root of sin, because sin is always about doing what I want, when I want, the way I want. I want my way. Uh, it's, it's all about giving give me. A, we've all gone astray because we want to go our own way. That's the ultimate thing of, of sin, and ultimately that's the root of most of the problems in our marriage is I want it for me. I'm thinking of me. Selfishness becomes a weed that we have to constantly battle against and be willing to pull it out, whatever that looks like. Another weed he talked about was busyness. The fact of we are, we are, and, and he said that we drive it by materialism. The thought being that 
we, we want more, we, we think we ha- if we have more, if I don't have this, and if I get more, then I'll, ha- I'll be happy eventually. But by doing that, we just keep adding more and more and more until we don't have the time or the energy left to, to put into our marriages, to put into our, our kids the way they need. We're, we're so busy with stuff, trying to, to gather more, and, and the, the focus should be on the, the gifts that God has given us and, and let him do this. Here's, here's a third one that I don't know if it caught your attention tonight was self-righteousness. And this is basically, let me just summarize it, saying this, that you're looking at this weed issue and you see lots of weeds that need to come out of your marriage that your spouse is doing. Boy, that, my spouse has issues. My husband, boy, if he could get that straightened out, my wife, if she would get that right, and so we are very quick to be, <laughs> he gave an illustration, and I had to think, I, I've sit in some of those counseling sessions. When a couple comes in and I ask him what, what the problem is, who does he talk about? And when I ask her what the problem is, who does she talk about? Exactly. Because no one, no one admits that they, they have the problem, that they could be the, possibly the issue. And so self-righteously, we say, boy, if they'd get their thing right, our marriage would be a whole lot. I'm not perfect. I get it. But they are a mess. Self-righteousness. That's a weed. we got to constantly, when you hear yourself, constantly, if your focus is on how bad your spouse is doing, right there, that's a weed that needs to come out. Because all of us contribute to the good and the bad of this marriage. The last one that he gave the other night I thought was really important was just the fact that we try to put our spouse in a position that God never intended them to be. They are not your Messiah. They cannot fill the needs of Jesus in your life. He said that the other night and both of us turned and went amen to that, right? My wife is not the Messiah. She says sometimes she's a lot like Jesus, but that's a whole other story. She's not the Messiah. She cannot fulfill all of my needs. And when I put that expectation on her, not only does it hurt her, it hurts my, because now I put something in the place of God. The, the fact that sometimes we are putting our, our, we're expecting our spouse to do something that only Jesus can do, and it's about allowing them to be who God has made them. Those are the weeds, but then those things choke out the life of a marriage. But now let's talk about planting some seeds. And he used Galatians 5, which we call the fruit of the Spirit. But the way I just loved it is we're reading through it. This is what every home, every marriage, every family would love to see apart. Every life would love to live with people who are full of love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness and goodness and self-control. We want that. We want that in our church. We want that in our family. We would like to work with people like that. In a marriage, these are the seeds that, we, that God, through his spirit, now because we're saved, he, we have the ability to plant those seeds in our marriage. And it's about daily doing the things that would, would make decisions to plant those seeds that can grow and, and to be what God has is, is, is wanted us to be. And even the idea of uh, love, joy, peace. Just choosing peace instead of war. There are some things not worth fighting over. So, so take, take the road that goes for peace. Just love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control, kindness, all of those wor- words of af- affirmation, words of appreciation. Those are seeds that we can plant to see that our, our, our lives true. So habit number one, couples on a daily basis, pulling some weeds, finding some things that are hurtful habits, pull those but plant some seeds of love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, goodness. Put some things in there. Make s- intentional decisions. That's habit number one. Habit number two is called dealing with the differences. Now, if you weren't here, we, we said this the other night. This may be a surprise, but you and your spouse are different. 
don't know if that, that just surprises you, right? We, we know that. That's just absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt. We are different. We use this illustration of the, the blanket and the fan, right? My, when, when we first got married, I was the fan guy. We had, the house was so hot. The ha- I had just had the fan constantly. My wife snuggling up in a blanket no matter what. Things have changed a little bit. Uh, We're at a different time of life now. You all understand where I'm going. Now, I'm under four or five blankets with a parka at night, just trying to stay alive, right, in the freezer of our, we call our home. And and she's got three fans and the window open when it's 20 degrees outside. And I am not lying. That is, I'm not preaching now. That's the truth, right? Here's the point. We're different, Okay. We all know that. That's not the mystery of, of this whole thing of, of differences. It, some of them are obvious differences, you know, size. Some of them are, you know, personality. Honestly, as we talk about this, I, I'm so thankful for, for just w- the way God has made. We are different. That would Not only would one of us be unnecessary if we were the same, we'd be very boring, right? That God has made it that way for some very, but all of that we understand. But here's the, the, the hook that he put in that I had not really grasp the same way. Acts chapter number 17, Paul's talking to a whole group of people. This isn't a marriage seminar at all, but he just makes a statement. He said, God marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. One translation says, he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Here's what we got to remember. Your spouse is different. That's given. But do you realize that he's different? She's different because God made them that way. Yes, you may say that, sure, we're in church, but you realize God orchestrated even their stories. The fact that they, are, they have lived where they have lived, they have lived with who they have lived, they, their families, all of that. God has brought two stories. You got this, you got this farm boy from, from Kansas who grew up in the, then moved to the city, and he marries this girl from a town that I, I drove past the first time I came here, right? And I, all, but all of that, there's two, it's not just two people, it's two stories that God brought together 34, almost 34 years ago. It's, it's, we're different in so many ways, but it's not just, just because that's the way it happens. God has been orchestrating that. He put us in the places. He put the people in our lives. He gave us the experiences. He built our personalities. My wife and I are different because God made us that way. Now, the point is, are we willing to celebrate that? Chances are you did early. As, as engaged couples, it was pretty cool. But, but we all know that some of the very things when you were engaged in early in marriage that you loved about your spouse are the things now that drive you crazy. About your spouse. You all are laughing because you know I'm exactly right. Somehow along the line, we forgot that some of those things on it, we're not talking about sin issues here and, and just piling up bad habits. I'm talking about who they are and how they're made. Realize they didn't have a choice in that. They didn't have a choice of where they were born and how they grew up. They didn't have a choice in their personality. God has given them that. Are we going to be willing to celebrate those differences? Isn't that a powerful thought, couples, to think that you're different? And that's not only okay, it's not wrong, it's actually awesome that God did that for a reason. And we're going to talk about the reasons in a minute, but here's the thing that, that I've, I've been doing the last couple of days, thinking about this verse. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 15. I, I, I've read this before about just understanding our lives. We're created, God created my inmost being. 
He knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm going to praise you, God. I'm fearfully, wonderfully made, and I know your works are wonderful. My frame wasn't hidden when I was in the secret place. You wove me together in the depths of the earth. I realize that as a part of creation. But now, take that verse, and we did this Friday night, and I've been thinking about this ever since. It's just like the light bulbs went off. Take that, and, and now put your spouse's name in there. For you created Shelley's inmost being. You knit her together in her mother's womb. I praise you, God, because Shelly is fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that so very well. Shelly's frame was not hidden from you when she was made in the secret place, when she was woven together in the depths of the earth. Shelly is a beautiful gift of God that he made. And I praise him for that. Understand, couples, we are in this, God has put us together, two very different people but there's a reason. These are, we can worship God because of his creative power in the life of our spouse. Not only dealing with, but literally celebrating the differences in our marriage. All right, these are a couple of the habits we talked about. That's kind of review for some, some of new stuff, great, powerful truths. But today I want to take that now to another level. We, we have these, these, hab- these habits, uh, and they all hinge on some very important truths. And, and this, this truth that I want to grab tonight, and, and this is a phrase that we're going to look at, one, one critical reality is that God has an agenda for marriage. Marriage is not only not just an accident. Marriage is not a social construct that somebody came up with because they thought it would help everybody. This was, this was not just an accident of evolution along the way. God established marriage. God had a reason for it, but if he had a reason, he also has an agenda for it. He has a, a purpose behind it. And so it's critical that we understand this, how important that marriage is. Now, we saw, last week we talked about Matthew chapter 19. And Jesus quotes the Old Testament, quotes one of the early verses, Genesis chapter 2. He quotes the, at the creation when uh, man and wife were created and the marriage started. Uh, Jesus said, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. God's very clear on what marriage is, the definition of marriage, the definition of a couple, man and wife, male, female, that's all clear. But the seriousness is also clear. Once God puts them together, don't let man start messing with it, right? Am I right? God's very clear in the the importance of marriage. And and so it's not only since he's the constructor and the designer, how it will work best. But this morning I want to talk about why it was made to work this way. What is the, he made us on purpose for a purpose, put us together for a purpose. And there's a reason why marriage is important as God makes it it to, to sound. Here's the issue. Some of you, regardless of where you stand, based on your personal experience, based on the models you've seen of marriage, positive or negative, you have developed your own idea of what marriage is, why it's there. And and let's be honest, our culture has pretty much lowered the bar on how important marriage is and what what the realities are. It's, It's often not a positive spin, but the Bible says God has a high value on marriage. In fact, Hebrews chapter 13, God very, said very simply, he said, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. Okay, I think God's pretty clear. Marriage is to be honored, you're to be faithful. 
That, that's a very clear statement. Why God has a reason, has a way, but he also has an agenda behind marriage. In our culture, a lot of people, they, they've not only kind of lessened it, it, it actually has almost become mocked. It's almost a ridicule of marriage. Why, why, why go through that? Why, put yourself, why make some kind of a lifelong commitment you're never going to keep anyway? It almost becomes a sense of it's not only not necessary, it's almost foolish to worry about this thing of marriage. That's kind of where it, is, it has become. But God still has this, he created it with a purpose, he created it with an agenda, and it continues to go forward. So let me give you some reasons this morning, we're going to talk at three of them. There's, there's probably some more we could throw in, but I want to talk about three. The first one being this. Marriage is the picture of something bigger than marriage. Marriage is not just about you and your spouse. Marriage is about something bigger. Every marriage in here reflects on something bigger than just the, the vows that you took, just the relationship of your marriage one of the primary passages in the New Testament about marriage, Ephesians chapter number 5. And Paul writes these words in starting verse 31. He said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and, and, be, uh, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That should sound familiar. We've already heard that. God said it in Genesis 2. Jesus repeats it twice in the Gospels. Now we have it here in Paul's words. God said that, that their husband leave father and mother, cleave to his wife, they become one flesh. But it's the next phrase. This mystery is profound. I always stop there because I kind of have to reflect on that phrase a little bit. The fact that God, it's kind of humorous, at least it makes me smile a little bit. The whole concept of marriage is kind of a mystery. It really is. You think about it. How two people, as different as we already know we are, God says, I'm going to put you together, and you're not only going to hang out for a few years, I'm going to make you one flesh. How does that work? It's a mystery how that any of that could really be a good combination. I mean, he, he made us in something, but it, that just makes so much, it doesn't make sense on a lot of occasions of how that we could, uh, marriage is a mystery. In fact, <laughs> in a lot of places, it's a miracle. I mean, it, be honest, right? Marriage, there's this, there's this intrigue behind it. But here's the thing, in this passage, this context, Paul's really not talking about the mystery of that marriage relationship, although it's mysterious. It's not talking about the, the human thing that's so mysterious he goes on to say Paul is actually uh, explaining that up to this point in history when Paul's writing these words the, the the deepest meaning the purpose of marriage was not quite revealed yet but now God is revealing this so as we keep reading and he says that you know the, this mystery is profound he says and I'm saying that it that's marriage refers to Christ and the church however let no not one of you, uh, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see she respects her husband. Did you catch that? The marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Your marriage is more than just you two lovebirds hanging out for 50 years. Your marriage is a picture of something bigger than that. Marriage has been designed by God that when he revealed in the New Testament what Jesus and the church meant, he said, in all these years I've been giving you a picture of that, and that was marriage. Marriage has been the example. Marriage has been the illustration of the relationship of God to his people, specifically of Jesus to his church. My opinion, that's one of the key reasons why the devil fights marriages so ferociously. Because he knows what your marriage is a picture of. He knows 
that if your marriage is shown to be a glory to God, that it bring, because that's a picture of his, so if he can do whatever he can to destroy marriage, especially take Christians who have made vows together before God and they both know him and they take a Christian and, 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 and get in between that and mess up. He knows what that can do. He knows the damage. He knows the, the, because this is about Jesus and the church. So let's do what we can to make a mess of it. That's also why I believe it's so important, couples, that you continue to work on your marriage. It's bigger than just you two. It's bigger than just what's going on in your household. It is important, those things, and, and there's ways to work through, but it's bigger than that. You, by God's design, especially followers of Christ, understand that that relationship has been designed to be a picture of your relationship to Jesus, of the church's relationship to Jesus. It's about Christ and the church. It's meant to illustrate how we relate to each other. Look at some of the verses. If you go back up and even starting in chapter 4 of Ephesians, you start looking at this context. He refers to the church as one body. So now when he gets to marriage, what does he say? The, the couple is going to become one flesh. In essence, you become one body. You're one to, it's a picture of the church. The way that we are designed by God is one body of Christ. The marriage is that same picture. He goes on to, to talk about the love and the care. That if husbands, you love your wife. Why? Because you care for yourself. So as you're loving yourself, you love your wife. As Jesus loved the church. Wives, you, you show the respect. Why? Because that's what you do for yourself as Jesus does for the church. It's an amazing picture. Verse 25, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 28, husbands love your wives and do, do for her feed, nourish, care for her just as Christ does the church. And wives submit to the husbands, verse 24, for the husband is the head as Christ is the head of the church. Do you see what he's saying? This whole thing of marriage is bigger than just a piece of paper. It's bigger than just two people making a, you know, some kind of public statement. This is a picture of Jesus and his relationship to the church. The roles that are to be in the church and the roles that are to be in the marriage. The love and the care and the respect and the honor. All of those things that are to be a part of the church. He says, that's what I've created the home to be. Now, we, what we know is... That sin changed all those things. Before sin, Adam and Eve had the perfect home, literally. The perfect marriage. Because there was no sin, there was no issues. Now we're at post the fall, we, are, we struggle and we work. And that's why we need improvements. That's why we need to continually effort. Because the devil wants to take what was meant to be a beautiful picture of God's relationship to himself and to us. And he wants to destroy that and make it something that the world wouldn't even want to look at or be a part of. It's a, it's a copy, it's a metaphor. One, one author said this, as God made man in his image, so he made earthly marriage in the image of his own eternal image with his people. Are you getting it, folks? Your marriage is that important to God. It elevates marriage to a whole nother level. This isn't just some socially acceptable, this is God said marriage is a picture of my relationship to to my people. Marriage is bigger. The picture is bigger than just our marriage. The second one goes along with that. And so if this is a picture and we're supposed to be growing and becoming something that reflects who Jesus and our relationship to him, so that also now makes marriage the workroom that is bigger than your marriage. 
your marriage is not only a picture of the relationship with Christ, now it becomes a, a place where God is going to make you into who he wants you to be. It becomes a workroom that's bigger than just you and your, your spouse together. It, it becomes something on, on a bigger fashion. What we know about our lives is we are in, a, we are in process. The whole thing about our, our, who we are in Christ from a, from a follower of Christ, from the point that you receive Christ until the point that you see him face to face, as we sang earlier, we live in that middle spot now. We, we, before we were not followers of Christ, we were lost in our sin, now we know Christ, and eventually we will, be, we will see him face to face, everything will be perfect, but we're living in the now. So we're living in the now, waiting for the not yet, and in that, in that time, God is working in us. God is, the, the theological term for that is sanctification. God is saved, he has saved us from our sin, and now he is sanctifying us. He is making us more like his son Jesus. In fact, here's how 2 Corinthians put it. And we all, believers, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Between the now and the not yet, God is step by step working on us. Philippians says he's not going to stop either. He's going to continue to work. As long as we are here, God is doing a work in our lives. He's transforming us, and, and he's transforming one of the biggest things is these habits that we have. He's changing those things, and he's working in our lives to transform the habits that we have into things that please him. Now, understand, you're not working to achieve acceptance with God. He, you are already accepted. You are justified. If you know Christ is your Savior, that's settled. But you're still growing. And in this process from now to not yet, God is working. And the things that, the habits that will constantly please him, he's working to make those a part of your, your life. So since God has placed such a value on marriage... Guess where one of the primary places where God is going to work on you to be who he's made you to be? It's going to be right there in that marriage. That first relationship that he'd established and knowing that over time we were going to need to grow. Guess where one of the great, the, the workroom, one of the greatest places where God is going to work in your life is right there in your home between husband and wife to make you and to form you and to, to help you to be who God has intentionally. Marriage is the intentional workroom for God to make you into who the, the, the thing that he has designed for you to be. But here's where we, we got a little confused, our culture specifically. We look at marriage as the place for us to be happy. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a lot of happiness and joy and bliss in marriage. It is. And I often, I often tease about Hallmark movies, and I will continue to. That's just part of how God made me, right? So don't judge. But here's, here's the point. A lot of times we see life in that vein, that I get married because that's going to make me happy. I get married because we've just been waiting for this, and now finally the happiness guru has hit my life, and we're going to kiss, and snow's going to fall on Christmas Eve, and everything's going to be great for the rest of our lives. We bought, we bought into that whether we mean to or not. And there's a whole channel that just repeats it over and over and over again. But it, <laughs> man, I got to get off of that. But, there's a, but, but here, here's, here's the point. God does bring such joy and happiness. There's great, that's part of what we have, even those gifts of the Spirit that we've, we've talked about. That God, But we've got to understand that God, more than happiness, Christians, God is working to develop holiness in your life. He's changing you to be who he's made you to be, more like his son Jesus. 
And since we're still sinners, there's a lot of issues between now and not yet that we have that he's working on us. And sometimes that's at the very least not going to be comfortable. And so if marriage becomes that workroom, could, could you just try to imagine this for a moment? That maybe some of those things that you think, God, why? Are we, why do we keep going through this? God, it can't, well, how long? And God, why, why? I don't, no more conflict. I don't, what if some of those things that we're going through in marriage, if we'll let God work through them, those are the very things that he's using to rub off the edges in our life, to make us who we're meant to be. Is that okay with you that God's working in your life? And he might be doing it through the very issue of your marriage because that's a workroom. It's a place where God is able to work in a way that maybe he's not, not ever to, to work in, a, in other ways. Let me give you a couple just phrases to think about. God's purpose is not for you to be comfortable, but for you to be transformed, for you to be different. And so if marriage is that workroom, understand sometimes we, we don't want to go through some of these issues and these talks because it's uncomfortable. It's not, but it, it, it's not about your comfort. It's not about I, I, if I'm not happy, then i got to get out. And I've had people tell me, well, God wants me to be happy, so I can't stay in this. Wait a second. At what point did God ever say that was the purpose for marriage? Yes, marriage has brought me extreme happiness, but the goal of marriage is not so that I'm happy. The goal is to this is part of God's way of making me and my wife who God wants us to be and so he's going to put us in a relationship where that can happen he wants us to be transformed understand and and here's another thought self-disclosure is necessary for transformation to happen here's why marriage is such a great workroom for that because God has set up the the very event of marriage to be the most vulnerable relationship you'll ever have Genesis 2.25, right after God put the two couple together, leave father and mother, cleave to your wife, become one flesh. Genesis 2.25, and the Bible says, and Adam and his wife were naked and had no shame. Now, as a kid, I snickered at that. Ooh, they're naked, right? Okay, and I, I've, I've grown up a little bit, although I still snicker sometimes when I just say those. But, but understand, it, it's not just a sexual thing he's talking about. What he's talking about is they stand completely vulnerable before one another. And that's okay. You have no other relationship to that degree as you would to be completely open and vulnerable from the very clothes that you have on your body to, the, to, to your soul, to be able to have someone that we, we're growing to become that vulnerable to. Why? Because God says that's how you, you begin to see transformation. Husband, wife, think about this. When you see in your, your spouse something something that's not, you know, quite right, and you think, oh, man, I just want to get rid what if, what if God is using you to be the one that's going to pray for God's grace in that person's life and is going to be patient with them until God works? Now, now, please understand, God hasn't put you in there to be the corrector. You can't change anybody. It's not you to say, well, then I'm going to take God's job. I'm going to change him into something that I want him. It's not about you changing him into your own image or vice versa, but it is about saying, God, how can you use me in patience and love to know that my spouse isn't perfect, but I see it and, and we expose to, to one another what these are and we begin to work through them and so that he's growing, I'm growing because we go, both got weeds to pull so we're both working together to let God make us who we meant to be because we're open to one, we, we become completely vulnerable in a way that other relationships can't be. Marriage is a workroom that God has made for us to be who he wants us to be. There's some dangers and, and these are, I, I found these in, in Tripp's teaching, and I thought they were very powerful. When you talk about this, 
Here's some things to be careful that are already there. One of the dangers in our marriages is inattention, neglect. We just, we will spend, let's be honest, I say we because I know I've done it. We will spend hours on certain projects, on certain things, on certain activities, and nothing wrong with, none of them are sin, but would we spend, would we care to spend the same energy for our spouse? He makes a statement, and I, I don't know if I can say how true it would be, but just the thought of, he says, I think marriage, the worst problem in marriage is not adultery, it's neglect. Just not, not working at it. Just, just neglecting inattention. He says not only inattention, but he also mentions laziness. When you see it, you do nothing. I don't want to go there. I don't want to have that conversation, so I'm just going to clam up. I'm just not going to go. I'm just not going to put the effort into it. Can I challenge you couples? It is worth it, so keep working on it. The last one is the word doubt. Some of you may be at the point where just, you're just not sure it ever will work. And I don't know that it's worth it because it's just too much to get through. And we doubt the power of God and what he can do in our lives. And we, we forget that hope is not a book or hope is not that they do something different. Hope is a person and his name is Jesus. And Jesus can change anything if you will allow. Jesus can make your marriage what it's meant to be. All right, so... God's agenda. Marriage is a picture of something bigger. Marriage is a workroom for something bigger. It's, a, it's literally a part of God's sanctification in your life. Last thing I want you to grab today is this. Grace gives your marriage a lifetime warranty. Now, I like that phrase, lifetime warranty. It really kind of jumps off when you think about it. Why do companies, manufacturers, car dealers, why do they give warranties? Because they know that what they're selling you is not perfect. And at some point, it's going to need maintenance. It's probably going to need repair. So what they, what they do is they give you a warranty. And that warranty becomes the way that when the bumps come, you have something to fall back on, to, to begin to work through. Do you understand what God has done is he has given us a warranty for our marriage. And it's not you being the perfect person. It, it's, it's grace. Grace in a marriage can keep that marriage for 50, 60 plus years. It can make it something that we could never make it because it's something that we can't produce on our own. We're not talking about something that you can come up with to make this marriage. We're talking about grace of God literally can give your marriage a lifetime warranty no matter what happens. Tripp made this statement, and I, I want to quote it. He said, grace means God is never disgusted with your struggle." God knows when you struggle, God knows when you fight, God knows when you're having, and God's not disgusted by that, he's not surprised by that, he wants to help that, he loves you, and he's got grace for his children to be able to work on that, to be able to fix that, to be able to make the marriage what it's need to be. Jesus said things like, come to me if you're, if you're weary and heavy laden, what a great marriage verse, come and get help from me, you need strength, you need wisdom, come to me, you have, he said in James, those that need wisdom, ask of God, God is giving you an open door to say, children of mine, I will help you. Grace is what you need, and with God's grace, your marriage can make it. And your marriage can actually get better and better over the years. But it's all through the grace that God, that God offers to us. His grace, and, and I want you to, to see this, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul is going through some predicaments in his life, but he makes a, makes a very powerful statement. Now put this in the context of your marriage. The Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You, you realize I cannot build my house and I cannot save my marriage, but God can. And when, my, when I'm weak, when our marriage is weak, when we're struggling, or when we're strong, whatever point we're at, it's not me that's doing this, it's God's grace. And when we go through a struggle, and I look and I say, God, we can't do this, but you can. His grace is sufficient. His grace will, will make a, a way where you can't find a way. His grace has that kind of power for wherever you find in your marriage. Grace is God's provision of strength. That, he, that you produce on your own, and it's about, as a follower of Christ, that, that, he, that he will help you, that this isn't something you can fix on your own. You can't plant the seeds, and you can't grow the crops. God does that, but he says, by my grace, I can make that happen. My grace is sufficient. No matter what, how do I know that marriages are, a, a couple comes to my office, and they're ready to be done. The one thing I make sure when they leave that they hear is this, there is hope for every marriage. I'm not saying all of them make it. I get that. There's a, there's a lot of decisions, but there is hope because there is a God and his grace is sufficient for whatever we're going through. God can do this. But I also want to just point out that word grace in another fashion. Grace is also necessary in your marriage for you and the way you treat your spouse. What does God's grace do? It, it loves you in spite of you, loves you unconditionally, loves you through thick and thin, forgives all... Those are all carefully planted ingredients that need to be in our marriages. You're going to have to do some forgiving. You're going to have to do some asking of forgiveness. You're going to have to do some, have some patience. You're going to, it, it, grace is God's grace as it flows through you is then able to flow to that other person. But as we wrap this up today, here's what, one thing you've got to know about grace. Grace is something that every one of us in this room must have given by God if we're going to not only change our marriages, but the only hope we have for anything in the future is for God's grace to do a work in our lives. Because as we've said, we're all sinners. We separated from God. Romans chapter 5, verse number 15. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, that's Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. There is a gift, and it's a gift of God's grace. Nothing you could ever earn, nothing, but it's a gift that you must receive because you're a sinner. And grace will not only give you a life, that lifetime in your marriage, but only if, first of all, you know the grace that has overflowed to take away your sins, to change your life. He talks about a gift. Well, the very next chapter, for the, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's a Here's my question that I want to make sure you grab. Have you received the grace of God that has forgiven your sins, has made you one of his, have you received his gift of grace? Grace that can save your marriage starts with the grace that saves your soul. A grace that comes in and begins to change your life. And then God's able, by changing your life, to also begin to change your marriage. But it starts with, have you received God's gift of grace? That's the eternal reward that God has. So, as we wrap this up, let me just take you back and think about some things. Your marriage is worth it. Some of you, are, your marriage is right now, it's on, a, it's on a pretty good level. Fantastic. Thank God for that. Some of you, your marriage seems to be kind of stuck, kind of, man, it's just, it's just a, lo it's a labor right now. And some of you, you're not sure if your marriage is going to make it this week. I got that. But understand, there is hope 
There is grace, and God's grace can make a difference in your marriage now and forever. But make sure that before you start changing all the things, have you gone to God's throne of grace yourself? It's not about you pulling the weeds for your spouse. It's about you and God alone saying, God, what things do I need to change? What things in the marriage what would be better if I got rid of these weeds and I planted some of these seeds, or I, I celebrate the difference of my spouse in a way that I truly tell them how wonderful it is that God brought them in my life, and I thank God for them. What can you do to, to make this happen? Let, let's go back to the verse we started with, Galatians 6 and verse number 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give Let's make that our marriage mantra. God, I know if I, if I plant these seeds with your spirit and I pull out those weeds and I, I, I do as you lead me, you've got a harvest waiting and I'm not going to give up on my marriage. Not going to give up on what God is doing in my life.